0: Hello, it's Vikas Porta, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF.
1: Good morning. We call this session to order. I welcome all of you to this House of Debate. Um, I will uh, shortly introduce our speakers. Uh, My name is Raj Kumar. I'm the President and Editor-in-Chief of DevEx, delighted as a media person to not have to debate either side of this issue, but to get to be neutral as usual, so this is very helpful. We are in a, a room that, as you can see, has been built to look very much like Parliament. I don't know that they have added an important detail in the real Parliament, which is that the the desk is meant to be two sword lengths long. Uh, But neither of our debaters seem to have come armed, so I think we're okay. Uh, We are here today to debate the question, this House believes that is teaching 21st century skills an educational dead end? That teaching 21st century skills is an educational dead end. And to debate that motion, uh, in favor of the motion is uh, Nuno Crato, who is the former Minister of Education and Science of Portugal um, and now professor at the University of Lisbon. And with him, Mark Lahain, the Director of Parents and Teachers for Excellence. Debating against the motion, Sadia Zahidi, who is a part of the Executive Committee at the World Economic Forum and is the Head of Education, Gender, and Work there, as well as Dr. Halima Begum, who is the Global Vice President for Education at the Lego Foundation. So, uh, before we begin the discussion, we are going to take a vote. And if you look next to you, you will see a a small device that you can use to vote for, against, or undecided. Um, It should be fairly self-evident. A or one is for, B is against, C is undecided. Again, the, the motion is, this house believes that teaching 21st century skills is an educational dead end. Please vote. Okay, we have 45% are for the motion that teaching 21st century skills is an educational dead end. 36% are against, and 18% are undecided. Let me explain that today we will be focusing on the swing, the difference, not just which side gets more or or doesn't, or, or, or gets less, but the difference from this original vote. So your job is to pay attention to the debate and to the points made and to contribute to the debate during question time. First, we will begin with the for side for the motion. So I'd like to ask the first speaker, um, again, Mr. Nanocrato, to please come forward. And you have seven minutes
2: to make your argument. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Good morning, everybody. This is a li- maybe a little bit confusing because it's very strange that someone is going to say that is going to have a motion against 21st century skills. It's very strange. So do we on this side think that we should impart students with 18th century skills? Or do we believe that we are not in 21st century? It's very strange. So why did we accept this challenge? First, because there is some truth in this motion. And secondly, because we like a good challenge, Mark and I. But I'll rephrase the motion to make it clear to everybody what we support. The motion I'll rephrase is this. Teaching 21st century skills by replacing specific content knowledge with general skills is a dead end. So if we avoid knowledge to teach 21st century skills, as some people really support, this is a dead end and this is wrong. So what are 21st century skills? I hope you will explain better than me, but I say that usually people talk about critical thinking, creativity, deeper learning, higher-order thinking, digital technology mastering, and all these type of uh, slogans that have some good content, but sometimes became just slogans. And people say that these skills are characteristic of 21st century. And usually people argue along the following lines the study body changed, and so we want to educate now every child and not just a few. The marketplace involved, we don't know what's going to be needed in the future, so we should teach or learn how to learn instead of learning something. We should avoid routine tasks, and instead, instead of knowledge that nowadays is quickly outdated, students need to get transferable skills. I'll argue first that The whole idea has some flaws and I'll explain later why taking this idea to its final consequences is is a bad end for education. So why is the idea flawed? First, 21st century skills are a misnomer. Do you know exactly what's going to be needed in 21st century? Well in a way we all know and in a way no one of us know. So for the things that no one of us know it's safer to be on the safe side. And, but there are things that everybody knows about 21st century. I'm going to tell you some of them. I'm going to tell you some of the skills that I'm sure will be necessary in 21st century. First, reading, comprehension. Critical reading, being able to read and understand the text, being able to communicate clearly. This is, will be necessary in 21st century. Secondly, capacity to think quantitatively i.e. some knowledge of mathematics. Third, capacity to understand data, i.e. data analysis, statistics, a little bit of statistics. Some understanding of society, i.e. literature, history, arts, and so on and so on. Now, do you call these 21st century skills? I call these all-century skills. I think this is necessary, was necessary in the 19th century, is necessary in the 20th century, will be necessary in the 21st century. And this is not usually what people say. So do you want to say that 21st century skills are just knowledge? So we all agree, we all agree on this. Everybody needs knowledge. But at the same time, this is kind of an arrogance, because weren't people creative in the past? Just think about the marvelous works of art that have been produced. Just think about the marvelous science discoveries. Just think about the marvelous engineering constructions. Just think how creative humanity has been. So the problem is not this. The problem is now we need to educate more people and to give more people a high-quality education that in the past only a few people had. This is the heart of the problem. So the heart of the problem is... How are we going to impart knowledge, to impart skills, to impart creativity to everybody, and not just to a few as it was when I was in high school? In my country, I was one of the 4% of kids in my age who, find, who, who, who finished high school. That's very sad. Now, almost everybody finalizes high school and that's very good and we want everybody to have a good education i think i have a good education although a little bit old-fashioned and we should modernize education of course we need we should introduce technology of course we need we should introduce debating of course we need we should introduce critical thinking in terms of questioning we should rephrase what students say we shouldn't go just for rote memorization but we should go for understanding of the questions. Now what I say is to understand questions we need knowledge. Now let's see what some major or one major proponent of 21st century skill says. I'm quoting the British Association of Teachers and Lecturers. A 21st century curriculum cannot have the transfer of knowledge at its core for the simple reason that selection of what is required has become problematic in an information age. My argument is exactly the opposite, is that we need to have knowledge content at its core so that we can develop higher order skills. (laughs) And my argument is that we know a couple of things that will be necessary and are not going to be outdated. The history of my country, the history of the world, don't you know the kids to know that? A little bit of history of art, don't you know kids to know that? A little bit of philosophy. One Don't we know kids to know that? But at the heart of the matter, what is, is really serious is this: As cognitive psychology has discovered in the last decades, there is no muscle in the brain called critical thinking, or no muscle in the brain called a skill, transferable skills. We have transferable skills, and we have critical thinking when we know the subject matter. So, if I want to be critical about the American Constitution, about the Portuguese Constitution, I need to know the Constitution. And there is not a possibility of being critical about the Constitution if we don't know comparable constitutions, if we don't have subject matter, if we don't have knowledge of it. This has been proved again and again by cognitive psychologists with chess examples, with chess uh, experience with experience about reading, with experience about music, everything. So there is no specific muscle. And if you want to develop critical thinking, then you have to have a knowledge-rich curriculum. And that's what we are for, and that's what the 21st century skills stated in uh, in this extreme fashion is against. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Sadia Zahidi, against the motion.
3: My time starts up. Okay, let me ask you all two questions and I want a show of hands. First question. How many of you feel confident that your current skill set will see you through to the end of your working life? If you feel confident, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you feel confident advising your children about what they should be studying today so that they can have their skills last them through to the end of their working lives? Okay. And this is pretty much what the answers look like in every room where I've asked this question over the last year and a half. Rooms in Davos, rooms in other parts of the world, um, some of the most important leaders of the world, being unable to answer confidently that they think their skills will last them through to the end of their working lives or that they're able to advise their children. And this is not surprising because we are at the beginning of the fourth industrial revolution. Now, that revolution is changing business models around the world. It's changing many, many things about how we live, how we work. But in particular, three things are happening in the workforce. One, some jobs are simply disappearing because we are whole scale replacing the tasks and skills required in those jobs with machines and algorithms that are able to do them better. Now, there are some very gloomy statistics out there 47% of all the jobs in the U.S., um, uh, potentially 77% in China, potentially 69% in India. And there are more conservative estimates, and the conservative estimates are based more on tasks rather than all of jobs, and that says about 9% in the OECD. But still, that 9% is millions of people who will be displaced in their jobs. The second big trend is, by 2020, So this is the world economic forum's own research by 2020 alone 35 percent of the core skills in currently stable jobs are going to change so the job might stay but one-third imagine that one-third of what you're doing today is going to be different by 2020 in your job and third there are wholly new jobs emerging jobs that we couldn't have imagined 10 years ago just look back at that social media managers we never thought that was a job 10 years ago that is a job today There are going to be many more jobs like that in the next 10 to 15 years alone, much less the rest of the 21st century. Um, And those are going to be in the ICT sector. There are going to be ICT and STEM-related jobs across multiple sectors. Those are going to be jobs in the education sector itself, in the healthcare sector, in the green energy sector, in infrastructure, um, green jobs across all sectors, um, care, elder care and child care-related jobs. So there's a lot that's going to be changing, and it's not just driven by technology alone. But all of this, whether those jobs are changing, declining, or growing, are going to require a new set of skills. Now, that doesn't mean that fundamental knowledge that we need around languages, around arts, around natural sciences, that that disappears. But we need to do an upgrade, a whole scale upgrade of that system in two particular areas where there's going to be a growing premium. One is very human skills. And the other are very digital skills. Let me try to explain what that is. Around the human skills element, yes it's creativity, it's critical thinking, it's active listening, but it's also media literacy. It's also the ability to handle a world of constant change. It's about basic learning around managing your own mental mental health in a world of constant information and Stimulation, it's agility, it's the ability to learn how to learn, it's curiosity, it's global citizenship in a world that is much closer together. The second aspect, the more digital skills, this is not about everybody learning ICT in a deep way, but it is about at least knowing what is AI so that we are the future owners of this AI and not the AI running us. It's about understanding coding as a language in the similar way as English or math. It's about understanding how to use and interpret data in a world where data is the new oil. Instead, children are learning competition, not collaboration. They're learning memorization and not critical thinking. They're passing exams that test them on the past and not experiential learning that prepares them for the future. And the same thing, by the way, is happening in the adult workforce and in the adult learning system. Nearly three billion people are already part of the world's workforce facing these disruptions. And they are not going to go back to foundational education systems. They're going to need that skills upgrade today in the workforce while they are still working and while they're still providing for their families. And they, by the way, are the parents of that future generation. So we need better signals within that particular market too. In the American workforce alone, If we want workers that are at the highest risk of displacement, that's about 1.4 million people. Currently, if we do nothing to help them with a skills upgrade, 16% of them have absolutely no possibility of jobs in the future. 25% of them have maybe between one and three options. Only 2% of them have choice. Only 2% of them have about 50 viable pathways to which they could move, and that's because they already have a very rich set of skills. And to open that door, you need at least two years. We found, on average, two years of a concerted reskilling effort towards those very human and digital skills, in addition to the more technical retraining that they will need. We shouldn't get into the trap that it's only technical change that's required in the adult education and adult workforce system. It is human skills. It is digital skills, as described before. And instead, we have sent those people who are at the front line and facing the major shifts of the fourth industrial revolution, they are out there without any tools to navigate this change. Education today, whether it's the K-12 system or the adult education system, looks the same as it did 100 years ago. Updating what and how we learn is common sense. Uh, It is not the dead end that is being presented um, by the other side. Without this shift, It's the future of our own and our children's livelihoods, our health, our happiness, that would be at a dead end. Thank you.
1: Mark Lehane for the
4: motion. Mr. Speaker, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Um, I'm standing here today, unlike many of you, I'm not an expert. Um, I'm here to make a confession. Until a few years ago, I believed the Kool-Aid about 21st century skills. I stand here today as a father of four young children and as a teacher and as someone who, five and a half years ago, opened a new school in England. And when I was planning my new school in England, I planned to have Google time in my school. My kids were going to be given one day a week the equivalent of to work on whatever they wanted to do. They were going to direct their own learning. They were going to personalise their experiences And I came to realise, as we ran the school for the first few years, how wrong I really was. So what I want to say to you today is really a plea for the children, not just of today, but the children that are going to go through our school system in years to come, that in your schools and in your systems, you don't make the mistakes that I made and that so many other people have made by thinking that the 21st century requires workers or skills that are fundamentally different to what we've had before. Because let's not forget childhood... Is a really unique time in our lives we only get one shot at life and we only get one shot at childhood and those of us that work with children i have children of our own know how special that time is they have the freedom to be who they are before they are immersed in the wider world they have the time and the inclination to learn incredible amounts of things my youngest daughter is four she's into dinosaurs She's been into dinosaurs for a long time. There is very little. She does not know about dinosaurs. Indeed, she enjoys teaching me about dinosaurs on a regular basis. And long may that passion and her chance to pursue that passion continue. But childhood is a short period of time. And the time that children have in our schools is limited. Between the time that children in England start in education in school and the time they finish, they might only have 10,000, 11,000, 12,000 hours of formal learning, plus whatever they do around that. So we have to make the most of every single minute that we are with those special children. We only have one childhood. And so we have to prioritize what we're going to teach our children. And remember, every minute we spend teaching them one thing, every hour they spend learning about something is an hour they'll never get back that could have been spent on something else that they've had to forego. There is an opportunity cost with whatever we teach our children. So when I was setting up my school, I made a series of choices, and I believe I got them wrong. So I had to reinvent my school, and then I had to reinvent it again. And if you went to visit Bedford Free School today, you'd probably see what I call version 3.0. I had to ask myself two really important questions. What is important for children to learn? And can we deliver that? Can we do that really well? And I do sometimes worry that with the skills debate, we talk about what kids should be able to do No one would dispute that you need people that can collaborate, that can learn to learn, that can go and figure out stuff for themselves. But actually, that is very, very difficult to teach unless you have substantial, subject-specific discipline or knowledge. There is no evidence that you can teach generic skills or that if you have a skill in one particular aspect, you can transfer that skill to somewhere else. So if you can't do that, what can we do well? Well, for me, I think it comes down to uh, what some people have said is the best that can be thought, said, and done. I believe, in education, children should be immersed in their cultural heritage. They should be taught the greatest, that the greatest minds in their country, in their community, and on this planet, have said and done. And why do I think that? I think there are three reasons, really important reasons, that I'd like you to consider this morning. First of all, giving children... Their their communal, cultural knowledge is their entitlement. It gives them, within their community and the wider world, a common language that they can use. So that if one day they're lucky enough to come to an event like this, they have something in common with everyone else on this planet. It's even more important, actually, in a world that is diverse and as fast-changing as the world we live in, that people have those common reference points. I live in a town called Bedford. It's 50 miles north of London in England. Bedford is an incredibly diverse community. It has been since World War II. It is about 55% white British people, and then we have 10% of people in Bedford from Bangladesh, another 10% from Pakistan and India, We have a large, well-established Itali- Italian and Polish communities. When I opened my school, I was so proud that my school looked like Bedford. Those kids brought all those different experiences together. But if we were going to become a family, a community, we needed to teach them about a common cultural heritage so we could all get on and all move in the same direction. That involved teaching them our national anthem, teaching them lots of British, European and world history, teaching them the best from literature, the arts and music. I didn't want them just to know about Beyoncé, I wanted them to know about Ike and Tina Turner as well, okay? You cannot understand, but if you want to talk to me about Beyoncé and Tina Turner later on, I'll be available. You cannot understand Beyoncé unless you understand Ike and Tina Turner between 1967 and 1973, okay? We'll talk about that later. So, they're entitled to their common cultural heritage. The second reason why I would argue to reject 21st century skills and back this motion is I'm not sure that education should be driven by corporations. I don't think education should be driven by what businesses are telling me they want their workers of the future to do. I think education is about immersing an individual within their community so they can grow up and make their own choices, so they can be authors of the novel of their own lives. And also, can I be honest, I'm not convinced businesses are the best people to tell us what the future skills are, because most of the businesses that are telling us what the jobs of the future will be won't be around in the future, because they'll have been competed out by companies that don't yet exist. Okay, so let's not forget what education is about. It's about children, not about corporations. And the final reason why I want you to back this motion and reject 21st century skills is really important. The the powerful on this planet have always had powerful knowledge. They know stuff that they didn't share with the masses. And I experienced that when I got my lucky break and rocked up at Cambridge University in in 1997. I'd done well in my exams, but my exams didn't tell me anything about the world, okay? I didn't know until two and a half years ago that Garibaldi was anything more than a biscuit, okay? And you could argue it doesn't matter. I found out now. I could have Googled it. But the powerful keep powerful knowledge to themselves. And we have a chance for the first time probably in mankind's history to teach every kid a powerful communal cultural literacy curriculum that will give them the knowledge that the powerful have always had. Think how different the world would be if everyone grew up and went into adulthood having that in their armory. So I would say to you, please, you probably benefited from a knowledge-rich curriculum Time. yourself. Don't pull the ladder up behind you. Vote for this motion. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Dr. Halima Begum against the motion.
5: Mr. Speaker, and um, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. I'm going to bring this debate back to reality, back to Dubai, back to the UAE. Where are we? In March 2017, His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi, and Supreme Commander of the UAE Armed Forces, so not the corporates, told a group of over 3,000 UAE youth that the future of the United Arab Emirates will rely on the skills and not come through oil. Let me repeat this. The future of the UAE will rely on their skills and will not come through oil. So far from being an educational dead end, skills like critical thinking, problem solving, collaboration and creativity, these are the skills that will equip children to not only survive, but actually own an artificially intelligence-driven future. They will save us with these skills. The planet will be saved. So let me gently now invite you to our argument on this side of the motion. As we said about to improve learning, because this is about learning, it's not about corporate skills and businesses, it's about learning. Our most important goal should be to move forward, the world forward, ourselves forward and the world forward. And to do this we must make sure that our children's learning is not outdated and that we are advancing but not moving back. And this means identifying and teaching our children the skills that they and the world will need to take the next step forward. If we fail to act with this goal in mind, our world will be stuck with the old ways of learning that's unsuited to the needs of tomorrow. So I think it's really important to remind ourselves what is the goal of learning, and I didn't hear that in the previous discussions. Okay, so children today need real-world skills, right, to address the needs they'll face in the future. Skills like collaboration, teamwork, creativity, imagination, critical thinking, these are not fads. These are actual skills, actual skills that children need. To do this, they need to get behind the wheel, right? So they can't just read about these skills. They need to get behind the wheel, and they need to practice in environments like what they will face in the real world. Because the truth is, and I think we've all said this, and I think you know this, the truth is that we don't know what they will face in the future. And we don't want to second guess. It's too risky. But we do know that the future is very uncertain. A little bit of statistics, because I think it works maybe, maybe to think about the data and what the data is telling us. And some of that data is coming from the corporates, but I think we need to hear from the corporates too. In 2015, McKinsey and company demonstrated, and and I think this was my uh, colleague's point here, that 45% of the jobs that people perform today in the US, let's take the pinnacle of uh, the most successful country of the 20th century, not the 21st century, let's take the US. All all of the jobs in the US, 45% of these jobs could be automated, could be digitalized using current technologies that are available today, never mind the technologies that will actually be available in the future. They also show that about 60% of all occupations could see a 30% or more of their activities automated, again with technologies of today, and that frightens me. I don't want to frighten you, but it certainly frightens me that about 80 or 90% of activities and jobs could be replaced by the robots. In other words, we cannot just give our children a simple roadmap of work-ready skills. The roadmap doesn't exist anymore. We must prepare them to navigate on their own, find their way forward in uncertain territory, and solving problems that we can't actually foresee, and competing in a competition against artificial intelligence. This is what we're dealing with. It's not about the corporate versus content knowledge. It's about letting our kids compete against artificial intelligence. So in other words, I'm making the argument that we cannot just give our children a simple Oh, You've already heard that. I will get back to digitalization and and, and that point though. Um, Nearly everyone, the children, ourselves, adults, will all be affected by digitalization and will all be affected by the marginalization of artificial intelligence, by artificial intelligence of human beings, right? And human beings that are schooled in traditional forms of education, okay? So we do not want to be marginalized by robots and artificial intelligence. We do not want to be schooled in traditional ways that doesn't equip our children with success. We're all parents, we're all caregivers, we want our children to succeed. And in the coming years, all of this is going to be transformed by artificial intelligence. Well, let's look at what's left behind. If all this change is going on, what is left behind? Well, it turns out that while computers can do an excellent job, say, in um, very well-defined activities, such as optimizing tracking routes or logistics maybe, humans are critical for determining goals, for interpreting results and actually provide common sense checks for solutions, the hardest activities to automate or digitalise with currently available technologies are those that involve managing and developing people or that apply expertise to decision-making, planning or creative work. So in other words, we need to prepare our children with the skills to traverse whatever hits them, right? Whatever they meet, whether that's working in a digitalised office where robots are the majority Whether that's working in a hospital where robots are performing surgery or whether that's traveling on aeroplanes where human pilots have been replaced for the last 20 years. We want our children to succeed in this world. We also want our children to be future leaders to solve complex global challenges of the future such as climate change. So it's not just about learning. One more minute. One minute. It's about saving the planet. Um, I'm going to skip the statistics quickly. We know that children don't learn on their own and they don't do it exclusively in a classroom. So they needed the scaffolded mentorship and a combination of content knowledge and and lots of hands-on practice on navigating tricky situations. You can't be successful with one without the other. Nobody's asking us to replace one thing with another, but we're actually asking you to let children have the skills to allow them to adapt in society and the future. Coming back to uh, the LEGO Foundation and we and what we do, I mean, we encourage children to play and build the skills of creativity because it's with creativity that children expand their minds. It's those skills that we, we believe are the skills of the 21st century, skills that cannot be replaced by the robots or artificial intelligence. Time. Time? So we encourage you to vote with us. Thank you.
1: Thank you. We will now move to question time. Uh, I would encourage you to keep your questions crisp, try to make sure there is a question mark at the end of them, and direct them to uh, one side or the other. If you can, uh, please also state your name and position or organization. Uh, There are microphones which will come to you, so if you'll raise your hands, we'll direct uh, the first question. We'll start with this question over here.
5: Hi, Priya Lakhani, founder, chief executive of Century Tech, the AI company that learns how you learn. Um, Question for the... The For the... Yeah, for the motion. Why are you suggesting in your debate that 21st century skills and traditional education are mutually exclusive? They are not taught in isolation.
2: I'm sorry, we are not suggesting that. What we are suggesting is that replacing content knowledge by so-called 21st century skills is a dead end. That's what we are suggesting. We are saying that we need skills like critical thinking, we need skills like cooperative learning, we need all that. But that cannot be built without content knowledge. And the idea that the world is changing so fast that we no longer know what is needed And so we should just teach skills outside of knowledge this idea is wrong in our opinion. Thank you. I hope I have answered. We'll go to the next question.
1: Please, here in the front row, please wait for the microphone.
4: Thank you. Uh, Hi, my name is Kasim. I'm the founder and CEO of Beyond the Classroom Education. uh, I guess the question is for Mark. Uh, Mark, you suggested uh, through your arguments that uh, Skills like collaboration, they cannot be taught. I mean, there is no evidence that suggests that they can't be taught. Unfortunately, I believe through history, we've seen that argument made time and again, that this just can't be done. But that's been proven wrong time and again. We've spent millions of dollars coming up with uh, standardized tests. These uh, 21st century skills are relatively new. Um, So what makes you suggest that they can't be taught and then there is no evidence right now, but there won't be any evidence in the future either? Thank you. So I think the key thing is that um, skills can be coached, they can be experienced, you can train people in skills. I have had to learn how to do public speaking, I've had to learn how to do debating, but I can only really do that if I know the th- very subject that I'm talking about. So I feel confident enough to stand up here today and to talk about, to talk about uh, skills versus knowledge and what we should be teaching children because I've spent years and years and years thinking, writing and debating it with other, other people. So that's why I think we shouldn't, we, you can't teach skills without that subject content. You can't build a beautiful Lego house unless you've got a massive range of basic Lego bricks to do that. You have to have something to build with. We
1: had a question in the second row, then we'll come to the first row. Yeah.
4: Hi, um, I'm Gareth. I'm just a humble teacher. Um, I have another question question for the four guys. Um, As the global village and global community is getting smaller, the chances of a global curriculum are expanding. And already in the UAE especially, we're seeing schools that are teaching the British curriculum in the UAE. Um, My question for you is, in a knowledge-based curriculum in a world that is shrinking, Who chooses what content goes on the curriculum when it will affect lots of different countries and suddenly someone needs to make that decision? Who is in control of that power?
2: I've answered society. There is no consensus. But there is consensus on basic things, like reading, writing, communication, like history, we should know history, like basic math like all these things are subject knowledge that should be taught now each country of course puts some uh, more leverage on their own history that's natural but there is some common history that has common points but the answer lies within each country and lies also with the families lies with the parents lies with society lies with schools but if we look across the board we think that there is a consensus on some basic knowledge and fortunately there is
1: and here in the front row we have a question and then we'll come to this side
2: thank you my
0: name is fernando riemers i'm a professor at harvard and i do research in how 10 countries are actually advancing 21st century skills in their public schools my question is for zadia for those who are curious as to how this is happening this book teaching and learning in the 21st century explains how it is that nations like Singapore, like China, are actually teaching 21st century skills. But the question for Zadia is the following. Those for the motion have explained how it has been difficult for them as ministers or as school leaders to do that. And that is consistent with our findings. It is not for not everyone is equipped, either a government or a school, to do that. Should we just accept the fact that in the future, this will be the new divide? And that there will be some schools, some children, and some nations. Left behind because their inability to embrace a conception of helping students learn the skills that actually will help them become self-authoring.
3: I think Professor Ramers, if you know you asked yourself the same question, I, I, I doubt your answer would be yes, we should let this be the new divide. I think we want we want to lift all boats, we want to be able to help people move forward. Yes, it's hard. And I recognize it's hard, and I actually really truly empathize with that. I'm not a teacher, I've not been in the policy making role that you've been in. So it's easy to stand back and say these are the trends and let's do something about it. But we have to, we don't have any other choice and we cannot let that divide emerge where it's only the Singapore's and the Finland's who are able to provide that kind of agile system and who are able to blend 21st century skills with the basic knowledge that is absolutely critical as well. It cannot be just those 10 countries alone that move forward. We need to make sure that everybody has that, and I do believe that we have the beginnings of some of the methods to do that, books such as yours. We have the kind of technology that can help spread that information, and we must. I don't think we have any other choice.
1: Okay, we have some questions over here. We'll start here in the second row.
4: Hi, I'm Sirkunika Malinder from Work in Progress in Finland. Uh, In my humble opinion, there are two big, 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 big obstacles uh, for developing 21st century skills in schools. That is uh, the high-stakes exams and uh, teacher education. Um, So would you have any suggestions as to how to um, sort of Mm, change the exam system in a way that would allow developing these skills and how to address teacher education in such a way that they would be able to deliver these skills. Teachers in the classrooms today don't really know how to.
5: I mean, absolutely, I mean that is a fantastic question. I mean we can all agree or disagree on whether skills are important or not But I think we could violently agree that teachers, the fundamental to getting this work in classrooms, don't actually have the skills. Whether you take Scratch, which is an education technology, or whether you take another tech, if teachers don't have the skills, how do you actually make this happen? What we would argue is that you actually have to change the incentives, right? So look at assessment. Most of the time, we're looking at assessing content-based knowledge. We would absolutely argue that if you actually allow skills to be a means of assessment for content-rich curriculum, you might actually get both. So maybe move away from high-stakes tests generally, because they could be harmful, I would say, but actually think about looking at national assessments and international assessments and bringing in a breadth of skills, 21st century skills. You all know the jargon, I mean essentially it's those five critical skills. We might be more ambitious if we're looking at global citizenship, I think we can wait for that. But critical thinking, problem solving, I mean, they shouldn't be just one new domain that PISA tests. They should be consistent domains with maths, English and science. And I think that's the only way you're going to do it. Change the incentives, get the skills recognised in your assessment frameworks, and then the teachers will be trained to perform in the right way. And what I would argue is the role of the teacher has to change. Like in the future classroom, it doesn't matter if you're in Malawi or in New York, a teacher is a facilitator, an enabler, right? So it, there's a role around how teachers also think of themselves as change makers. And that's the future classroom that we see.
1: We have a question here in the third row.
0: Hi. I, um, I guess I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I think a lot of the technical and scientific knowledge, you know, the, the desire to have equal access to it, I, I'm very passionate about this. But I also worry that a lot of um, well, say in Silicon Valley, I mean, there's a notorious blind spot to real-world social issues, and I worry that there's a, a trap there. That if we uh, doubled, if we commit fully to, uh, you know, equal access to technoscientific knowledge, that uh, we might be uh, promoting inequities uh, in a certain sense because they are blind to some social issues. Do you feel like there's a there's a, a hidden trap there, or something that we could look out for and plan for?
5: answer you know because this was very much a timed um, event I would say that going for the tech approach is obviously not the way forward but thinking about tech and hands-on and creative learning to solve a real-world problem such as water shortage or social issues I mean that's the way forward so the future classroom is about hands-on content and actually doing both and, and using technology in a way that's also creative so it's not just about simulated computer games. And, and you will know that in LEGO, we, we go for hands-on, minds-on, and creative computing, because that's fundamentally the breadth of skills that we need. And actually, the, the, the risks that you outline, I think we could actually mitigate that risk with this 21st century skills approach, but hands-on, minds-on, and by doing, I think.
1: We have a question in the front row, all the way down there. Woman in the pink, no to keep them in order as best I can. I, see, I saw the other hands as well.
4: Thank you. Um, my name is Laura McInerney. I run an app called TeacherTap. And I have a question for the against, which
3: is that the premise of the argument is based on the idea that the fourth industrial revolution will bring artificial intelligence, and that therefore should t- uh, change the way we teach. But we did have a first, second, and third revolution. Now, that third revolution was around automation and computers in the 1960s. In hindsight and looking back. What do you think we should have done so that schools could have changed between 1960 and now, and it would have been better prepared
4: back then? I think it's the,
3: the fourth Industrial Revolution builds on the third, and so maybe this shift is a little smaller than the shift that happened between the first and the second and the third and the fourth. This system that we currently have is designed in the midst of the second Industrial Revolution. We haven't made that upgrade. What are the exact things we should have changed? They ended up happening organically because technology put into our own hands the ability to have that learning. The shift that's happened now is not so simple. It's not simply by having ubiquitous information that's going to allow each of us to pick up some of those skills. This is about experiential learning, and I think focusing on that now is what's going to set us up for the future.
1: So we had, you were the next one here in the front. Front row, this gentleman, thank you. We may only have time for this last question, let's see. Hello, uh, Glenn Wagner from uh, Canada, I'm a humble teacher as well. Uh, Just on the other side right here, sir, um, to the four side. Yeah, thank you very much. To the four side. Uh, your school. Uh, I just want to get a little more information from you before we make a decision. You talked about uh, School 3.0, how you changed your school. Could you uh, elaborate a little bit about what you saw and what you went to uh, as your final model? Uh, briefly, if you may. Thank you.
4: So, so I should say my, um, my road to Damascus, my Pauline moment, where the scales fell from my eyes, and notice there's three cultural references I've got just in those two sentences. Okay, from the Bible. Um, there was a moment when Nick Gibb, who was a schools minister in England, came and visited my school. And I took him around the school, and the children were very well behaved, and the children were charming, and we went in and out of lessons. And he walked into a geography lesson, and we watched uh, some 12 year old children rapping about fair trade coffee. Okay, they'd been researching, they'd done PowerPoint presentations, and they were rapping about fair trade coffee. When we walked out, he said, Mark, that was really nice. But could they have told me the capital of Sudan, if I'd asked them? And I couldn't tell him the answer. But actually, I realised that night, lying in bed, I knew the answer. They wouldn't have known the capital of Sudan. Most of them wouldn't have even known where Sudan was. In fact, very few of them would have known about Sudan and South Sudan. Now, you might argue that doesn't matter, because they can look it up. But actually, having gone away and done the thinking and done the soul-searching, when we reinvented the curriculum, I decided I wanted them to have way more time for the enabling subjects of science, technology, maths and English. That I wanted to have way more time for literature, art, music, extra opportunities. And I couldn't do that if I was giving 24% of the curriculum time I had over to health and well-being skills and Google time. It wasn't possible. We only have so many minutes in the day and we can only spread those minutes so far. So we embraced the knowledge-rich curriculum. We created our own curriculum, the curriculum that we decided had the right combination of local communal knowledge... National communal knowledge and global communal knowledge. And we've been rolling it out for the last three years. And I'll tell you why I am now convinced from personal experience that it works, or it works better than what we did before. Is when you talk to the children at my school now, their skills are better. They are more eloquent. They are more easily able to collaborate and cooperate. They actually, Because they know more stuff, they have got more knowledge, they've got more fuel to play with. To come back to the Lego house analogy, they've got more bricks and different types of bricks with which to be creative and design their future. So if you go to Bedford Free School 3.0, that's the difference you'll see now. Not just kids that look like they can perform, but that can really perform because they've got that knowledge to perform with.
1: We're going to try to squeeze in one final question here in the second row. This gentleman, if we can bring him a microphone, please.
6: My name is Solomon David. I'm from the British University in Dubai. Uh, My question is to the against team. Um, I hear a lot of skills rhetoric uh, recently, the the discussion on job focus, skills rhetoric. Of course, there's fear for future, but uh, is there a danger that uh, we are reducing the whole self development to a a few skill sets? Are we reducing children to a, a couple of skills? rather than developing them as a whole self. Uh, There's a danger of doing this. This, The standard structured approach in the past, uh, looking through Basil Bernstein's approach, more structured approach in the school education while differentiated approach in the university education. That sounds more realistic, where we could actually develop them reasonably whole self and to a profession. But now emphasizing this in school curriculum is really dangerous to me. What, do you, what is your
3: reaction?
5: I think we're in violent agreement again. I, I do not believe that what we've argued for goes against what you've just said. Um, we, we were arguing for whole child development. We were arguing for ways that children learn where they can weave different skills together in ways that make children confident and curious and imaginative for the rest of their lives. So it wasn't just about school and childhood, it wasn't just about gaining a job, it was absolutely about children taking their place in the future and thinking about, so 21st century skills, I mean that that's a jargon but essentially we break that down to social emotional well-being as well. Children's social emotional well-being at naught to 5, how do you then translate those uh, skills and abilities into a school space and often you do have to speak about problem solving. Um, empathy, curiosity, right? So it's all about whole child development, actually, and if you do support children to gain those skills, I believe that they'll be empowered to, to lead us into a future, whatever comes their way, whether it's artificial intelligence, whether it's something else, but they'll embrace it. Um, A lady asked a question around what we could have done differently in the last 100 years. I think we might have motivated and transformed the way teachers teach, actually, so that teachers are not still lecturing at everybody as though they are the fonts of knowledge. But how do teachers then look at the means with which to access information and actually find what is a learner-centered way of teaching? Children absolutely are capable of so much, if only we let them, if only we guided them.
1: Okay, we've moved to the end of question time. We are now going to hear a three-minute summation from each side, and then it will be time to vote again. So we'd like to ask the four side to please come up and provide a three-minute summation.
2: Thank you very much. From this discussion, it seems that everybody agrees. But not everybody agrees. I'm going back to the motion. And what the motion, the rephrased motion says, is this. Teaching 21st century skills by replacing specific content knowledge by general skills is a dead end. This is our point of view. Our point of view is that everything needs to be based on knowledge. And the best way to equip students for the future is not just to teach generic skills, just not to teach how to cooperate, just not to teach how to learn to learn in abstract, in a void. These skills cannot be taught, these skills cannot be acquired if students are not learning. And students need to learn. They need to learn math, uh, reading, comprehension, uh, history, social history. They need arts. They need all this full-fledged curriculum. This is at the heart. Then the method to teach this should incorporate more modern approaches. Of course it should. But we have to be careful, as Madame de Stael said, back in the 18th century, criticizing some exaggerations of some educationalists of the time, she said, all criticism that is being made to the old style of teaching is correct, but what they are suggesting is worse than what it exists. Thank you.
3: remind you about the actual motion that was put forward, is teaching 21st century skills an educational dead end. Because that is hard to imagine, it's perhaps easier to take a narrower definition of what 21st century skills are. And it's perhaps easier to position this as an either or against some of that basic knowledge around languages and humanities and other things that we all believe we also need. It's easier, but that is not. It's also, at best, lazy. um, At worst, completely irresponsible for our children's futures. And so I would suggest that we think of this as a battle for human existence. We insist upon the 21st century skills being brought into our curricula. We put in the effort that is required to upgrade those curricula in that way, and not shy away from the challenge at hand.
1: Thank you, that closes the debate. We will now have a vote. So our producers in the back uh, will put up the motion again, and please take your device and select, again, this house believes that teaching 21st century skills is an educational dead end, A if you're for it, B if you're against it, or C if you're undecided.